Good morning. Welcome here in the, the fourth Sunday of Advent. So as we continue to think about the coming of Jesus and also remembering his existence since the beginning of the world, we'll incorporate some Advent-specific songs and some Jesus songs, some non-Christmassy songs. Um, so please stand as we sing, O Come All Ye Faithful. behind me will be the call to worship so you can read the lines for people and all let's read the call to worship together behold do not be afraid God is with us God is our strength and our salvation Lord we stand in your presence in faith not fear God will send angels to keep watch over you, to comfort you, to keep you. Lord, our strong hope is built on your unfailing love. Our hearts yield to you and trust in your transforming power. Praise, Praise ye the Lord. Lord. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we want to focus our hearts and our minds and our bodies on being with you this morning, on worshiping you, on learning from you. Um, and I thank you for everyone who is in this, in this building together and for everyone else who is also uh, worshiping you this morning in churches across our community, across our province, country, world. And we just want to join together and um, just say that you are, you are the king, that you are coming, not only at Christmas, but that you are coming again and we anticipate your arrival in all of those ways. Help us to remember um, that you are full of joy and that you bring joy, that you're the most joyful being in the universe. 
I pray that you would bring us that joy this morning. Amen. I'd like to invite Bo and Tyler to come to the front to light our four Advent candles. And while they come and do that, let's read the candle lighting liturgy. So again, please read people and all. We cry out for restoration. We call upon God to give us life. Do not be afraid, says the Lord. I have promised to be with you. As we hold fast to God's promise, we light this candle as a sign of our joy. Bring, Bring your, your restoration, restoration to your people, we pray. Let's sing O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. We'll sing all four verses, as this is the last Sunday before Christmas that we will be singing this song.
please stand as we sing the next couple songs. This next one is a relatively new song, so don't feel bad if it takes a little bit to get into it. Um, it's called New Wine, and it seems fitting for Advent as Jesus was the, the new thing, the new thing that God was doing, um, and how God desires to do a new thing in us as well. So during this season, um, this can be a song of reflection, of repentance as well, and surrendering to what God is doing in us. said before, 
These are Jesus songs, so they're always applicable. And this next one, what a beautiful name. We'll just sing part of it. So, um, yeah, we just want to remember that the name of Jesus is the most powerful name in all of the universe, and we just honor him as um, being present with God at the beginning in the creation of the world and also anticipating his, his human form this Christmas. We'll sing one more song together. At this time, this is another beautiful song about um, the life of Christ in us. It's not I who live, but Christ, in, Christ who lives in me.
Awesome. If you have your Bibles on you, please turn to Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Matthew 1, 18 to 25. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. We have a special treat this morning. The Handbell Choir is going to be performing for us, so I'll invite them to come up. And as they do, I will pray for the offering. God, we thank you for the gifts you have given us in talents, in time, in energy, in money. And I pray that especially um, as we think about as, as our financial giving being part of our worship, that you would help us to give generously and cheerfully and that the money that we give will be used to further your kingdom and will be used for your glory. Amen.
I'd like all the little lambs to come to the front. Oh, yeah, come sit here right in the front. I'll just catch my breath for a bit. All right. It's good to see that all my little lambs are here safe. Oh, it's rainy season in Bethlehem now. And there, there are in Bethlehem. But yeah, there's, there's snow right here now, I see. So there and with the rainy season comes a lot of dangers for little lambs. Can you think of anything that might be dangerous for lambs? Well, with all the rain, that maybe there's some deep puddles that the lambs might get in. But when it rains a lot, then the grass grows very tall. And I don't think we have as many wild animals today as we did once. For lambs, I, as a shepherd, I have to watch out for lions, for bears, maybe cougars, lots of things. But so now I'm reminded of a story when I was just a little shepherd. And I was shepherding with a group of shepherds because I was one of the youngest. But there was a time when all the other shepherds left me all alone as a little, little shepherd. And now they, they left me, the other shepherds left me because there was a couple of, couple of sheep that were lost. So they went to look for those sheep. And I was left all alone, but everything was fine. It was a nice, sunny, warm day. All the other sheep were just grazing nicely in front. So I could see them all. So didn't see any danger in that being all by myself. But then, I, I, so I just went and found a, my favorite rock to sit on so that I could watch all the sheep. Everything was going great. But as I was sitting on that favorite rock of mine, all of a sudden I heard some rustling in the deep grass. What do you think was there? There was, there was a lion. Yeah, it started rustling, and then I heard a low growl. Boy, was I scared. So, my first instinct, the first thing I wanted to do was to turn around and run back, run back home. But I knew I couldn't do that because I was in charge of all these other sheep there that were in front of me. So... I rustled up the courage inside, and I went towards where that sound was coming from, and now I could see that there is a lion starting to creep up out of the deep grass. So I mustered up all the courage I had, raised my, my staff, and yelled at the top of my voice. I won't do that here right now. And just as I was yelling, then all of a sudden, my brother Micah came, and, and the other shepherds came around the corner, and then the lioness noticed that, that she was outnumbered, so then, then she went back into the deep grass. And you know what happened then? Then my brother said to me, you are growing up, aren't you? You could have run away from that lion, but instead you chose to try and scare the lion away and, and save the other sheep. 
You are very brave, he said. Hmm. Well, I was thinking to myself, and I said to him, I, I don't think, I, I, was, I was half scared to death. I don't think I was brave. But then he told me one thing that I'll always remember. You, you, it, it's, it's silly for you not to be scared of a lion. That's quite perfect. That's very normal to be scared of wild animals. But you chose to stay and to defend all the, all the other sheep. That, even because you were scared, you decided to stay. That is brave. So it got me thinking, well, there's all kinds of other things that, that we can be scared of. It's not necessarily wild animals. Are there some things that you, you are scared of? Is there anything you're scared of that you want to say? Maybe you're scared to say anything, too. In front of a group of people, that can be scary. Um, being a new person in your classroom, that can be scary. Or if you know what to do, the right thing to do, and, it be, can be, and no one else is doing the right thing, that can be scary, too. So, remember, even though it's quite normal to be scared of things, it is brave to face those scary things. And you know what? In the Bible, it tells us that Jesus is our good shepherd. He's the one that's looking over us, protecting us. And if we remember that, that even in the scary things that we come across this week, that we remember that Jesus is with us. Maybe that then we won't be quite as scared. So, I have here another brick. On one side it says fear. On the other side, it says courage. Those are kind of two things that go hand in hand, right? Fear or being scared is quite normal. But having courage and being brave and asking God to help us or maybe our parents to help us, that's being courageous, having courage. So let's have a short word of prayer, and then I'll let you go back to where you were. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are our shepherd and that you watch over us and protect us. Help us to have faith encourage in you and i pray that we will remember this through this coming week in jesus name amen all right thanks for coming to listen let's go back good morning let's bow together to dismiss the little ones to children's church dear god we thank you for each of the children of our congregation we pray now as they go to Children's Church that it'll find them well. They'll learn new things about you. And we also pray be with the teachers and give them the words to say. We also want to pray a blessing on our service today. We put those things before you. Amen. All right. If you have your bulletins on you, now is the time to get those out.
There's a number of things on there that we need to cover. The first Wednesday, 645, the last prayer meeting of the year is going to be here at the church. And so if you can make it out, come on out for that. Then next Sunday, there is no Sunday school, but there is a Christmas morning service at 1045 with a potluck to follow. If you are off with family that day, understandable. But if you are not, or if you know anybody that has nothing to do on Christmas Day, why not tell them about it so that they can come on out and have a good meal and have a good time. Also, the care home service is next Sunday as well at 3 p.m. If you're looking for something to do at 3 p.m. on Christmas Day, why not come to the care home service? Skipping down. Uh, there is going to be a sharing and prayer service on January 1st at 10.45. There is also not going to be any Sunday school on January 1st, and so make note of that. Uh, we do also need volunteers for the Tubing Hill on January 1st. There are two shifts of four people each that we're looking to fill, so if you're interested in working at the Tubing Hill, then get in touch with either me or Emily, and we will get you plugged in. That's right, even though she is in Australia right now, she is still happily running that and doing a great job too. Impressive. I have one thing to add on to this. I got a message from our sister church, Ebenezer Church in Brandon, that's the Spanish language EMC church that's there, and uh, they asked a favor of us, and that is that in their congregation there was somebody that was unfortunately diagnosed with late stage cancer. It does not look good, and there is a number of debts that are there as well. And so they have set up a, Go, a GoFundMe for this person. Uh, if you have access to the email that came out this morning, all of the information is there. I'd encourage you, look it up. It's a hard time of year for that to happen. At any time of year, that's a hard thing to happen, but this in particular. So I'd encourage you to look it up and give as you are able. Oh, one other announcement as well. I'll be taking two weeks of vacation starting on the 26th, and so uh, make note of that as well. If you need any care uh, needs, then talk to either David and Tammy or talk to Gordon Christine. If you need something to do with the church, then either talk to Jeff or talk to Ron, and they'll sort you out. All right, any other announcements? Okay, then moving on to items of prayer. Uh, the first is healing for Tina Taves. Uh, as we said before, she had that fall where she hurt her wrist. She also very much so hurt her back as well. And uh, so we want to continue to pray for healing for her. It has been a very hard go. And so we want to keep praying for healing for her, that this will heal up well and that she'll be home soon also. Uh, we also want to pray for the church during this Advent season we are in the last Sunday of Advent now. Next Sunday is Christmas, and we want to pray that as we arrive at Christmas, with everything that we are, we are ready to find our Lord in new ways. And so we want to keep praying for that. We also want to keep praying for all of those that are feeling unwell because it is a solid percentage of our congregation and the town. And so we want to pray for healing, and we want to pray that... Whatever this is gets under control. Beyond that, as I also have said to a number of you, this past week was my birthday. Uh, we didn't end up doing too terribly much because 
I don't know if you've noticed, but there is an extra three feet of snow that wasn't here last weekend. So it was mostly spent inside. But at the same time, whenever I have a birthday, I pray for the same thing. I pray for wisdom for the year to come and all of the things that life will throw at me. And so I'd ask for prayer for that as well. And with those said, let's go into this time of prayer. God, we come before you this morning. First off, thankful for all that you do. Lord, we're thankful for another year that has gone by. We're thankful for all of the ways that you have given the wisdom that we needed to get through it. We're thankful for all of the ways that we have seen you lead. We're thankful for all of the ways that you have been at work. This past year, we have seen that a lot. And so God, we pray, at least I pray for myself in this year coming up, pray for the same. Lord, I pray for ongoing wisdom with the decisions that'll be before me. I pray for that ongoing want to seek you out in all of the ways that you will lead. Lord, that I put before you, but I say thank you for another year. And we also want to say thank you for how you have been leading us during this time of Advent. Now that we're in the last week of it, we particularly want to pray, open our eyes, God. Open our eyes to all of the ways that you have been at work and that you are at work and will be at work so that when we find ourselves on Christmas morning, find ourselves on the day that we see you most clearly have come and we find ourselves looking forward to when you will come again, that that hits us with all that it possibly can. Lord, we pray that as we find ourselves at Christmas, that in all of the ways that that can open our eyes to the glory and beauty and all of the things that you have done, that it does just that. But we say thank you for this time of year when we can reflect and look at you. And God, we want to pray for our town. Lord, we want to pray for this disease that is going around. We've been praying for it now for a number of weeks and we want to continue to put it before you. Lord, we pray for healing. We pray for healing for these diseases that are jumping from person to person to person. Lord, we pray that you will bring the healing that is needed. And we also pray that you will bring the strength that is needed for the people that are dealing with these diseases, but also for those that are in various forms of health care that are dealing with them as well. It has been a hard couple months, and we see that. And so, Lord, we pray be the strength that they need and also help us to show our appreciation as well. And while we're praying for healing, we also want to pray for our sister Tina once again. Between her wrist and her back, God, we pray for healing for her. Lord, we pray that soon she will be right as rain. Lord, we pray that soon the pain will go. God, all of these things we bring before you this morning. And all of these things we place at your feet.
Amen. All right. Well, as I said, we find ourselves in the fourth Sunday of Advent today. The fourth Sunday of Advent of this period of time where we get to stop, where we get to reflect on ourselves and on our faith. And in doing that, we get to look forward to Christ coming, both in that manger, the, in that manger all those years ago, but also when he comes again in all glory as well. And so if you have your Bibles on you, I'd ask you to turn to Matthew 1, 18 to 25. That's our passage for this morning. Matthew 1, 18 to 25. And as we open up there, we notice that this is a very odd passage for Advent. It's a very odd passage for Advent for two reasons, at least. One is, is that John the Baptist isn't mentioned in it at all. That has been very different than all of the other passages that we have looked for, through so far during this time of Advent, this time of looking forward to when Christ comes. And the second is because... Well, this is also one of the Christmas passages. Jesus ends up being born right there at the end of it. So it's kind of a bit of an odd thing that we would use this as an Advent passage. But at the same time, the reason that we use this as an Advent passage is because in this passage, we are looking at Joseph. We're looking at the father of our Lord. And if there was ever somebody to look at, where it comes to looking forward to Christ coming, and I dare say that his parents kind of fit that bill pretty neatly. And as we look at Joseph, what we see pretty readily is that Matthew is trying to make sure that we know something very, very particular about who Joseph is. And that is that Joseph is of the kingly line. Joseph is of the line of David. He says it a number of times in our passage today, but even more than that, he spends, oh, 17 verses immediately before this, the entire first part of First Matthew, sorry, Matthew chapter 1. It's all about just making that line, making that line about how Joseph and, by extension, his adopted son, Jesus, are of the line of of David, of the line of Judah, of the line of the kings of Israel themselves. Matthew wants us to know that. And he wants us to know that so much so that while in the other tellings of the Christmas story, particularly in Luke, where we get the wonderful story of Mary, who is nine months pregnant, going into labor, riding for hours and tens, if not hundreds of miles, on a donkey's back, and then turned away from the inn. And then the angels blotting out the sky with just their numerous praising God and the shepherds and everything we think about when we think about Christmas. Well, that's the story that is really important for Luke to make sure that we know when we come to the Christmas story. Matthew instead focuses on something else when we come to the Christmas story. Matthew, when he wants to tell us about what Christmas is, instead of all of that, chooses to give us what can pretty much be boiled down to saying that it is a family law case study. 
When we look at verses 18 to 20, that's essentially what we're getting here. We're getting a case study in first century family law. And so I'm going to call it the Christmas family law case study. And then we're going to go through it to see why that's an important thing that Matthew wants to make sure that we know. In order to go through why it is that Matthew thinks that this is so important, that will require us to actually know something about how marriages worked in the first century in Palestine. Because it is a very different thing than how marriages work today. Because how marriages work today is, is we have our young people, they go off and they find somebody they're in love with. doesn't need to be young people, they find somebody they're in love with and then they get married and all of that stuff. But in the old times, then they did it much more elegantly. Then they did it much more smart. And by that, what I mean is the parents took care of all of that. I must say, when I was trying to find a bride for myself, I wouldn't have thought that was a good idea at all. But now that I have children of my own, maybe there's more wisdom than I think. But how they would have done it in those days, it's very different than how they do it today. And by that, I mean that it was a whole process You know those conversations that your parents jokingly have about how, wouldn't it be neat if our kids ended up getting married? They have it with their friends the moment that they have kids one way or the other. Right from the point where they're just we. You know those conversations? I'm sure all of us have had them to some extent. You see, in those days, those conversations actually held a little bit of weight. In those days, that was the first stage of how you got married. Your parents would look around to find somebody else that had kids of an applicable age. And when I say they would look around, I wouldn't look too far around. You'd stay in the town. You'd stay with who's nearby. But they would find somebody with kids of an applicable age, and they would think to themselves, you know what, that would make a good spouse for my child. And so they would talk to them, and stage one would be done. At this point, There isn't much legally going on. Like, if all of a sudden things don't work out, then things don't work out. There might be a couple bruised feelings, but at the end of the day, nevertheless, there is still this thought that those kids, they are one day going to be wed. And then we would get to the marriage age. And that would be much younger than we would be comfortable with talking about marriage ages today. But when they got to that age, well, then things would get bumped up a notch. Because when they got to that age, then, then the families would sit down and they would start hammering the details out. Was there going to be a bride price that was paid? Was there going to be a dowry that was paid? Those are different things, by the way. I found that out this week. I always thought they were the same. No, they're different things. And was there going to be a gift from the husband to his young wife so she knew that he was really serious about that? All of these details and like 10,000 others, where were they going to live? How were they going to set up? How much money they were going to It was a pretty long list of things just to make sure that this young couple, when they got going, they were going to be okay. And once all of those details were hammered out, then what would happen then is they would go into the middle of the town and they would announce that to everyone around them. That was kind of how contracts were formed then. It makes sense. 
for a contract to be a force really just matters that everybody knows it. So they would go into the middle of the town and they would announce it for everyone to hear. And at that point, they were done the beginning of a year-long process that it would take them to get married. As I said, complicated thing. But why it's important that we kind of notice this is that legally speaking, at this point, while they aren't fully married, they are nevertheless considered husband and wife. They are nevertheless considered to be at this point beginners married. Like we get a beginner's license. They're beginners married. And that's important because if all of a sudden, for some reason, the marriage couldn't go through, at this stage, then there would be consequences that would need to be paid. But then a year would go by and the marriage itself would take place. The wedding itself would actually take place. And after that, the happy couple would go off and they would live wherever it is that they decided that they were going to live probably at the husband's family's house for the first little while. Can you imagine that? <laughs> and then they would have their own family and the cycle goes on. And that little bit of how marriages work back in those days is important for when we come into our passage today. It's important for when we come into our passage today because depending upon what stage of this process you were in, it very much so changed how things that end marriage would impact you. If you're in that first stage where it's just promised from the point where they're knee-high going on, then if the marriage had to end for whatever reason, chances are there would be some bruised feelings, but it would mostly just be a slap on the wrist. Depending upon the reason why the marriage was ending, though, if it was one of the later ones, then we're talking significantly more than a slap on the wrist. Depending upon why it is that the marriage is ending, we're talking you could possibly even be stoned by all of your neighbors in the town square yourself. And so that's what's in our heads when we come to our passage today. And as we come to our passage today, to our Christmas family law case study, Matthew kind of rolls out for us slowly a picture of what we're getting when we look at Mary and Joseph. What we get is we're told that Mary becomes pregnant, and she's engaged to be married to Joseph. What does that tell us? Well, depending upon what your translation is, it either says engaged to be married to Joseph or it says betrothed. And what that tells us is that she's either in stage one, where it's just kind of a promise thing, or she's in stage two, where it's actually full-on married to some degree. And then we're told that Joseph believes that his fiance has cheated on him. And so from what we know, then that means one of two things. It means that either this is going to end in a bit of a messy way, but a slap on the wrist essentially if we're in that first tier. Or it means that for justice to be fulfilled, Joseph will need to divorce Mary and announce to the entire town why it is that he is divorcing her. 
That would be following the law in that time, in that place. It would be both divorcing, but also announcing why it is that that divorce was happened and leaving it up to the town how it is that Mary would be treated. And then we go on and we see that Joseph was considering divorcing her. And at that point, we know what stage of this process they're in. We know that we're not in the promising stage anymore because you wouldn't need to divorce someone if that was the stage you were in. That he was going to divorce her means that they are in that second stage where there is legal consequences for what has gone down. This is Matthew's Christmas family law case study that he gives us with, that he tells us is the important things for us to know as we go into Christmas instead of all of the big and wonderful things we get in Luke. This is the important thing that Matthew tells us that we need to know. That when this is put before Joseph, how will Joseph act? That is what Matthew wants us to see about who Joseph is. And as it is put before Joseph, Matthew goes on to tell us just what type of a person Joseph is. Joseph is a righteous man. That is what we are told first about him. And so what would that mean about how we would expect Joseph to act? Well, it would mean that he would do exactly what the letter of the law lays out that he should do. And that is that he should go in front of the entire town. He should drag Mary up there, just like how they announced it on the day that they were married, going to be married to begin with. And he will tell the whole town that he is going to divorce her. He will tell the whole town exactly why it is that he divorced her. And he will just get his justice. That is what we would expect from a righteous man in this period of time. We would expect that a righteous man would live by the letter of the law, and living by the letter of the law would do just that. It would end his fiance, whether it was actually or metaphorically, she would be done. But then we are told next that Joseph is also compassionate. We're told that he doesn't actually want to end Mary in this way. He wants to possibly just make it as unpainful for her as possible. And so we find ourselves with this question. Is Joseph going to act in the righteous way according to the law? Or is Joseph instead just not going to let justice find him, all for the sake of not ending his fiance? To which we get his actual choice. He will divorce her because that is what you would do according to the law at that time. But he will do so quietly because this is the kind of man that Joseph is. Joseph is the kind of man that 
knows you have to follow the law as God leads, but also knows that if following that law means the end of someone, then you're not actually following God's law at all. It's a message that's actually terribly close to what Jesus himself would end up preaching in the Sermon on the Mount, only five chapters after this. But we read that he struggles with this decision for a long time. So much so that he falls asleep because he is, I assume, absolutely exhausted. And then when he falls asleep, we read that the angel of the Lord comes before him. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to go ahead with your marriage to Mary. For the child within her has been conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You remember that game telephone that you used to play when you were in grade school where one person would say something and then you'd pass it down and then by the time you got all the way around the circle, what it is that people thought the first person said was just completely different? That's actually how you get the name Jesus. Jesus is the name Joshua if you first translate it into Aramaic and then into Greek. Jesus is the name Joshua. And Joshua was a man that was seen as a savior of his people. He was seen as the person that led them finally into the promised land. But while Joshua did that militaristically, the second Joshua, Jesus, he would be the greater savior even still because he would save the people from their sins themselves. Joseph, this is going to be who Mary will give birth to. And when she does, I want you to take him and I want you to name him Jesus. Name him Joshua. And immediately our mind goes back to the Garden of Eden where they're naming everything. And when they name something, they show that connection to them. To name somebody in this culture means that you are their parent. This is what you will do, Joseph. You will take this boy and you will give him his name. And as you do that, you will claim him as your son. He will be of the same line as you. That same line of the kings that Joseph in his righteous decision before showed himself to be the best possible example of. This will be your son and we will call him Jesus, the savior of all. And then Joseph wakes up and he 
immediately does exactly what it is that the Lord commands. And our Lord is born. He is named Joseph by Joseph, Jesus by Joseph. And he is of the line of kings as well. There are many things you can learn from our passage today. You can learn wonderful things about what it means to get true justice and how true justice means like it's not a retributive thing. It's a healing thing. It's about caring for people. But because now is the season of Advent, the thing that I want to take away from our passage today is instead just how how it shows us that God is a God that listens. I think often when we come to this passage, we read it in kind of a wrong way. We read it as saying that Joseph, when faced with this terrible family law case study, almost makes such a big problem decision that he messes up God's whole plan. And so... Because of that, then we need to send in the angel of the Lord who is going to set things right. I think often when we read it, that's kind of how we read it. But that's a terrible way to read this passage. It's a terrible way to read this passage because it kind of flies a little bit in the face of what Matthew is showing us Joseph is like. How Matthew is showing us that Joseph is like Joseph of the line of kings, Joseph the father of our Lord, is that Joseph is somebody that struggles with following the law to the point that it stresses him out so much that he falls asleep. He's somebody that struggles with following God so much that it is taxing to him in all the ways. And when he finally arrives at what his decision will be as to how he should move forward, he arrives at a decision that is shockingly close to what Jesus will teach us to think of justice like and not terribly many chapters from here, only 30 years down the way. He's somebody that struggles with what it means to be a righteous person and in doing so, he follows after God, but it is a taxing thing for him. To which then when he falls asleep as a result... God sends an angel to comfort him, to guide him, to even reward, to give him the courage that he will need to do what comes next. What we get in our passage today isn't the story of how Joseph almost made a decision that was going to mess up all of God's plans. What we get in our passage today is the story of a man who struggles to follow God with all that he is, and then God shows that he is paying attention. Then God helps him. And that fits with what Matthew's whole thing is. We find it a little bit odd that 
While in Luke, we get such a grand story of what Christmas is, while here in Matthew, we get this family law case study. But it's because Matthew is trying to do a very different thing with his gospel than Luke is. What Matthew is trying to do is he's trying to show how Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of endless prophecies made to the Jewish people over the entirety of the Old Testament. What Matthew is trying to do is also to show how even though it has been a while since God has been front and center and active amongst his people, it's been 400 years since the last of the chapters in the Old Testament, even though it's been a while, what Matthew's trying to show is how God is very much so present. He's so present that he comes and is born to be with his people. And just now in Advent, just now in this period of time when we stop and we look forward to our God coming and we reflect in the meantime, what Matthew does here I think should hit us with a lot because what Matthew does here is he shows us that even though we're in this period of time where it might seem like God is not as active as he once was, nevertheless, he is listening. Nevertheless, as we find ourselves struggling towards our Lord, as we find ourselves struggling to do right by him, far from being a quiet time before the Lord comes again, we are in a time when our God is paying attention to all that and he is here with us. That's what I see in this passage today. And so as we're in the fourth Sunday of Advent, or Sunday of stopping, reflecting, and looking forward to when God comes again, I think this is what we need to take to heart. That even during this time where often it seems like our Lord is not as active as he used to be, not as active as he was in the time of the Bible or in the great memories we have of the church doing this, that, or the other thing. Nevertheless, right now as well, God is with us. And so as we struggle to do as he leads. Let's not forget that he is there and he sees us. Amen. Please stand as we sing our final song together. We'll sing Infant Holy, Infant Lowly, the two verses of it. And then Pastor Russell will come and give the benediction, and then we'll sing verse 1 again. So you can stay standing for all of that, if you're able. Mm -hmm. 
May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Go now and serve our Lord.